Hallelujah. If you got your Bibles this morning, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, first five verses. And we're going to look at this title this morning for a few minutes, How to Fight Your Battles. How to Fight Your Battles. You ever been in a battle? We've been through a lot of battles this last year. The devil's not giving up. I'll just give you a heads up. I don't believe he's give up yet. But he's defeated already. We're going to see some of that today. He's already defeated, but that doesn't mean he's give up in your life. Listen, here's one thing. If I forget to say it today, here's one thing you'll see. He's already defeated. But if he can cause you to lay down something or not take what's rightly yours, he won that battle. You've got things that God's won for you in your life, and if you don't take hold of him, then he wins that victory over you when it's already won. The war's over. But that don't mean he's giving up because he's fighting. He knows his time is short. He knows you're victorious, but if he can convince you you're not, and if he gets you to fight your battles the wrong way, then he can, he can defeat you or he can discourage you. And that's something that's going on everywhere you look. And we're going to look at that today. How to fight your battles. 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. You'll stand for the reading of the word. It says in verse 1, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you, he's pleading with them, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold toward you, but I beseech you, pleading again, that I may not be bold when I am present with the confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. How to fight your battles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We're encouraged in you. And God, we know you've already won the battle on the cross. And God, the enemy's already defeated, oh God. And Lord, but he's not given up trying to come against your children. But Lord, your children's are victorious because you live within our hearts and lives. And God, let us see that there is a spiritual warfare going on. And God, you've given us the tools. You've given us the ability. You've given us the victory. And that we'll hang on to that, O oh Lord, and we'll walk away victorious and the enemy driven back because you've already won the battle. God, open our eyes. God, help someone today. And God, minister in this altar. And Lord, even heal as we pray at the end of this service. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Even on that healing part, the enemy, Lord, by his stripes we are healed. It's already a done work. All we got to do is reach out and take it. Amen. Amen. We could preach on that a little bit. June 6th, 1944, was a day that will be remembered throughout history. General Dwight Eisenhower gave the command at 4 a.m. and he said just two words, let's go. And with that command, 155,000 soldiers made their way across the English Channel in the largest, the biggest, most powerful military invasion in world history. They were coming against an enemy who had occupied France. Germany had occupied France. And they were dug in. And they said, you can't drive us out. And we're going to take over all of Europe. And at the end result, they would have took all over the whole known world if they would have had their way. 
We already know what they did to the Jews. They were annihilating people. It was unbelievable what they were doing. And these men had been given the chances of one only, uh, that at least one out of three that were going to land on that beach in Normandy. One of those three beaches, most famously Omaha. Uh, the, uh, they, the statistics said that one in three would not make it back. They got on those beaches and when they got there, the enemy was entrenched in big strongholds up on top of the mountains. And when they hit those beaches, they, they was firing on them with heavy artillery. 10,000 soldiers gave their life that day. But they didn't give up. They kept coming and coming in droves. And they finally uh, scaled those mountain tops and they took over those strongholds that the enemy had built there to discourage them, to keep them out. And that day they won a great victory. Even though the battle wasn't, the war wasn't over, it was decided that one event turned the tide, and, the, and the Hitler and his boys knew that they were in trouble from that moment on. Now they were in trouble. But they didn't give up. They kept fighting. And in fact, even though that this decisive great victory was won here, the next year was the bloodiest in all the war. Why? Because the enemy was going to fight to the last breath. Even though it was over, and they knew, and they kept seeing their territory getting smaller and smaller, and to finally see what Hitler took his own life, I believe, we see that they realized the battle was over and they were just, they didn't, they were, didn't care. They were going to fight to the last minute. It's just like the battle that was won on the cross. The battle's over. He won the great victory. The enemy is already defeated. His days are numbered. He knows that there's no hope for him. And yet in the time that he's got left, he's not giving up to try to take out you and me. He don't want God to be able to do anything in you. It's too late for him. He has no hope. But in you or in my life, he takes our lives and he tries to steal from us so that he can take from us and even hurt God by what he sees, what he does in your life. And so we need to realize that the victory is already over. Jesus on that cross said three words. It is finished. It's done. Victory is won. And when he did that, he declared that the victory was won. Even though the war is still raging... The battle is already, it's over. We just need to hang on to him. Paul in these scriptures, if you kind of see what he's writing here, it, you may not understand that he's under attack. Paul is a father. I mean, he loves. If you look at the New Testament and look at the books, all the books he wrote, look how big the, the first and second Corinthians is compared to his other epistles next to Romans, of course. Romans was big. But he had a lot to say to these, the, the Corinthians. He had a lot to say. And he loved the Corinthians. And, when he, and so he was like a father to this church and these Christians. And, and when he got in their presence, he was just so humbled. He, he made himself humble before them. He loved them so much. And, he, and it's the way we should be around each other. We should just love each other. Amen. And it should be obvious that we love each other. And so he loved these people so much. But there was, as the enemy always does, there was a group of men that came out of Judah that made their way to Corinth. And they were men with eloquent speech. They could, man, they could, they could preach. And boy, it just tickled those ears. They knew how to say it. They knew all the current phrases. They knew all the best new songs. They knew how, and they were, and when they talked, they talked, they talked with authority, and this is the way it's going to be. And so they were men that looked like they were in authority, and they knew how to say things. And, and, and they were men that started sowing discord in the church against Paul. Paul wasn't there. And they started, as the enemy does, when the enemy attacks you, let me tell you something. Where does the enemy start? 
Does the enemy come to you and say, there is no God? No, he can't. It wouldn't do any good to you to tell you that because you don't believe. But you know what he'll do? He'll come and put up a little thought in your mind. Where's God at today? Where's he at when I'm going through this? Does God know where I am? Does God really care? Does God? He puts a little bitty, little brick at a time in your mind to raise up things in your mind that try to defeat. He defeats you one thought at a time. And so he come to this, these men come to this church and they were preaching. And they were saying, Paul is not anointed of God. He's not an apostle of God. And they started raising some accusations against him. They were saying different things uh, toward him, saying that he, his, his character is inconsistent. When he's with you, he's timid. He's humble. But when he gets away from you, he writes letters to you. He writes things bold. And so he's wishy-washy is what they were saying. He can't be somebody God's really using. Is that really somebody uh, that God's using? He doesn't use eloquent speech. Look at how we talk. And look, he just kind of, it's just, it's, he's simple. Everything he says is simple. And, we, and there's reasons behind the way he did. He's not polished like us. And they started questioning the way he talked. They started questioning his power. He doesn't talk to you with power and authority the way that we do. And, 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 and it shows that, it says that he was meek. And they actually accused him of living a fleshly life. He, he's let the, he, he, he's not, uh, the power of God's not in his life. Because he's, the, because in fact, one of the things they accused him of, they said because he wouldn't even let you all support him. Paul's, when he come, Paul didn't want to be a burden. He loved him so much, he didn't want to be a burden on him. And he got jobs on the side, making tents and doing different things so that he wouldn't have to burden them. Now, he would ask them to send money to Jerusalem or to the church that was suffering, but he wouldn't take their money. And they said, see, there, that's another sign. He won't even let you support him. Paul's worldly. Paul's let the world, and so this grieved Paul. Why? Because he, not only because what they were saying to him, because God had given him a ministry. God was behind everything that Paul was doing, but he was under attack. But he also was, was seeing that the church was under attack. These men were coming not only to put, what were they doing? They were trying to push out the godly influence of Paul so that they could change the church, so that they could manipulate the church. And, and it's kind of like some of the, there's a lot of churches like that today. You've got to watch to make sure that the message is the same as this word of God. And they're not making it where it's just simple for you. And, and God, everything, anything goes. And so the, Paul seen that not only he was under attack, but he seen that the church was under attack. And Paul was being uh, uh, chastised because he was so timid in front of the church. Paul let them know the reason that he was this way. He was modeling the life of Christ. See, Paul was not, inside, Paul could be, if you look back at Paul before he got saved, you can realize if there was one word that fit Paul, it was not timid. The whole church was running in fear for their lives because this man was a maniac. It said he was dragging them people out of their houses. He was bold in what he believed in. He was bold. But when he got saved on that road to Damascus, God did such a change in his life. It was power under control. And he was modeling himself after Christ. And Christ said this himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. 
Jesus is making an invitation to people saying, come to me because I am meek. And what he's talking about, when I, when I look at you, I have mercy, I have grace, I, I, I come before you and I'm just, I want you to, to, to serve me so bad. I just, I'm not, you're not going to see who I truly, if you could see who he truly was, it would cause him, it would cause him to fall faint, just like John did on the Isle of Patmos when he got a picture of what Christ looked like. It says he fell like he was dead. But this is God himself. And so you, to see a picture of this, this, this strength, this, this, this power under control was Jesus on the cross. These people were spitting on him and beating him and stabbing him. with the, They were doing everything, cursing him, telling him, come off the tree, come off that tree. If you're that cross, if you're really who you say you are, if they could see. He, did he have power to do that? Absolutely. He could have called the angels and wiped out the whole army. He could have, he could have annihilated all those uh, uh, Pharisees that were sitting there mocking him that were, as he said, whited sepulchers. We've seen Jesus, that when Jesus was humble and he, was, and, he, and he allowed them to mistreat him because of his love and his grace, but when it come time to actually be bold, he could be bold. When he went in that temple and he seen they were mistreating God's house, he was bold. You see him and you think, wow, look at the difference. He was bold, but most of the time he was humble. Most of the time he was meek. And so Paul was modeling himself after that. It's kind of like uh, you, there's, there's horses that can be trained to where they're just so under control. These powerful beasts that could just destroy you if they wanted to, to where just the slight nudge of your knees could actually cause them to turn. Or I was even thinking of going to some of these these large circuses and these men have taken these tigers that could just swallow them whole and they take their mouths and open it up and put their heads inside their mouth. What is that? It's power under control. And so he's modeling himself. There's one, before I get into this, my brother-in-law that passed away a few years ago from cancer, Roy was, to me, was, one, was such a model of power under control because before he got saved, if, I would, if you would have known him, he was... And he would tell you this. He would have said he was an outlaw. He was just—he was a rough dude, and uh, he was a bad. He was this kind of guy you didn't want to, you didn't want to run into too many times. He was a scary individual sometimes, and uh, he was always getting in trouble. But something changed when he got saved. He was so humble. He was so changed. I mean, not saying that he never ever made a mistake. I'm not saying, but I'm saying that he convicted me because I seen the difference from where he had been. And where he was. And it was a humbling thing. It was power under control. What was it? God's presence and God's spirit. And so Paul long ago he gave up his abilities. In fact, we see in scriptures where it says that, that, he, had done, that he, he knew that he, was, he forgot where he came from. And he didn't matter that he was born and that he was a Pharisee. And that he kept the law. And he did everything as he could perfect. And all these things that he had trained at the feet of Gamaliel. And that he had all this training. He said, I, I count every bit of this rubbish. I count his loss. He said, this is it. I don't, I don't try to talk with eloquent speech. He says, all I do is preach this one thing. Christ and him crucified. That's all I do. Because that's the main message, isn't it? That is the good news. And so he was depicting the very gentleness of Christ. And these men were using to uh, proclaim that he was not called. And yet it was a reproach against them because they were not like that. They were just the opposite of that. Today we're going to look at five important things in your Christian life that will determine your victory or defeat in the attack. If you're not under attack, you will be. And you, most of us have been there many times, and some of you may be there right now. Number one, spiritual victory is determined by your walk. 
It's determined by your walk. Verse 3, the first part of that says, For though we walk in the flesh. That's talking about living in this physical world. Wouldn't it be nice when you got saved, all of a sudden you're no longer uh, held by the boundaries of this world, no more problems, no more things to face, but that's not the case. We still live in a physical world, in a physical body, dealing with physical problems, and there's things that we're going to face just like everybody else. We're in the flesh. We're living in a carnal world. We're living in a physical world. But what he's saying here is, though, even though we walk in the flesh, we don't let the flesh control how we walk. We don't let this flesh that we live in control how we walk. He concedes, I'm, yes, these men say that he, Paul's walking in the flesh. Yeah, I walk in the flesh because I'm in this world just like you and me. Yeah. We're going to face some things as children of God. We're going to go through some things. But we cannot allow, it begins with your walk, we cannot allow the things that we face control the way that we, that we, fa- that we deal with the problems that we face. Number two, Spiritual victory is determined by your war. Do you know you're in a war? I mean, can you feel it? Have you ever felt it? I mean, can you not tell sometimes that you feel like just there is just a struggle going on? And you may not even be able to see it all, but you can just tell you're under attack. All the news that's coming, all the things you just feel like, Lord, you, Lord you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to help me because I just feel like I'm under attack. You can't see it. Well, why can't you see it? Because it's in spiritual. You're dealing with things, it's the last, our second part of that verse, it says, we do not war after the flesh. This sometimes is hard to understand. Because the thing that you face, if I were to ask you to define to me a battle you're facing, very likely you're going to give me something in the physical. You're going to tell me my health. You're going to tell me something in my family. You're going to tell me something that's going on at work. You're going to tell me something in their finances. You're going to tell me something that's in the physical world. And so in the enemy, he has defeated billions of people with this one fact. Where is your war truly coming from? If you try to fight your battles in this physical war, because you're facing it in the physical, you're seeing signs and manifestations of things that you're facing. But if you think that that's where it's originating from, he's already got you. If you try to face your battle in the flesh, Because it's coming from the flesh that's hitting you, you've already been defeated. And he loves that because it's something so hard to do. You need to realize where is your war that you're facing. I don't care what it is. You come up with it after service. Tell me what you're facing. And I'm going to be able to point you back. There is a spiritual spiritual attack that's part of that. This nation, what we're going through, this virus that we're facing, the things in our families, the problems with marriages, the, the sicknesses that people's going through, every bit of these things is stuff that we see the effects in the physical, but the origin is spiritual. It's spiritual. And so if we don't get our, and understand that, he has defeated billions that way. And so we as Christians, God wants us to see, Paul is encouraging us to look and realize our battle is not in this physical world. It's something we have to fight through, the spirit, through a spiritual battle. He tells us that in Ephesians 6 verse 12. And it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's not who you're fighting. That's who you may see some people that's talking to you bad. But that's not where it's going. It says, But what, what, who are we facing? Principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What's he talking about? Demonic forces. Yeah. He's talking about authorities and spiritual places 
that comes against you and they use tactics that's won, won, uh, won battles so many times before to try to defeat you. And if you look at the problem and you don't see that there's something spiritual behind it and then get to God for Him to help you with it, you've already lost the battle. But we need to realize we're not fighting a war that is in the flesh. Right. We have not got the ability to do that. We also need to see that spiritual victory is determined by your weapons. What kind of weapons are you fighting with? He's under attack here. He's under attack and you're under attack. There's things that you're going to face and we can't fight them with our own. We can't get, we're not smart enough to say the right thing. We're not smart enough to have enough strength. We don't have the ability to come against it. He's talking about, for the verse 4 says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That word is talking about the physical. Your battle, your weapons that is going to win will never be in this physical body. If you learn quickly that this body is incapable of fighting one foot into the spiritual world, then you'll realize where your strength must come from. You can't do it. The enemy laughs when we try to fight a physical battle in the spiritual. He's already got the upper hand and he's not fearful of you. But we do not have weapons that are physical, nor worldly weapons or tactics that's going to work. But listen, you need to know this. Your weapons are spiritual weapons. God is the, the, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power that He gives you. The enemy trembles at the things, the power of the Spirit of God. And he knows he's defeated, but he wants you to rely on your own self. 2 Corinthians 6, 7 tells us, that the, 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 where we get our strength from by truthful speech. It's talking about the Word of God and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. In other words, don't pick up anything that's not God's spiritual weapon that He's got for you because that's where the battle's won. The Word of God, the power of God, that's how the battle is won. These are the weapons that God is going to use in your life. So our weapons are spiritual. You know what? Our weapons are also powerful. They're very powerful. You can't see them. I mean, it's hard to put your confidence in. God's given you something, and, and you're using it, and you're pressing in in the Spirit, and you're feeling the battle, and it's raging, and sometimes the enemy, the, the attack on your mind is, you ain't doing no good. Give up. Don't come to prayer service. Don't try, why well, he ain't doing anything. He didn't do anything. Give up and just, that's what he wants to do. Little bricks in your mind to try to come against you. Our, our, our weapons are powerful because it says on, further in verse 4, it says, says that the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Well, that tells you where your powers come from. It ain't you. It didn't say mighty through you. It says mighty through God. Now, when you look at the original language, that mighty through God is actually mighty to God. Mighty to God. You know what that's saying? It's almost like there is a reaction. That when we in the spiritual battle we face, when we run to God and we yield to Him and we reach out to Him, God, you've got to help me in this and I don't know what to do and you help me. It's almost like when we do that, it activates something so that God says, that's what I need right there. Now I can take that and now when I put my power with that, that yielding of your flesh, that yielding of your ability to me, it says it's now mighty. Now power comes out. And all we have to do is yield ourselves to Him. And now that's what God uses to win the victory. And it's because you yielded to Him. Now power becomes active in your life. 
So you need to realize that you yielding to God makes powerful uh, uh, weapons. The enemy is fearful on, but only because you give yourself and he connects his power to your surrender. And God can do mighty things about that. He, I'm not going to read them, but in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells about all this spiritual weaponry, right? The helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, and feet shot the preparation of the gospel of peace, and your loins girt about with truth, and having, you know, and having the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God, and all these weaponry that He's given us, and it's stuff that you can't see in the flesh. That's spiritual armor, and it's powerful, it's effective. And so we need to realize it's spiritual, and it's powerful. So what are these weapons that weapons that God? Now those that, those that helmet of salvation, feet shod preparation, and breastplate of righteousness. That's all armament. That's armor to block what the enemy's trying to hit you with. But there's two weapons we've looked at in the past. There's two weapons, not just one. Two weapons that God gives you that the enemy is fearful does not want you to pick up. Hey, here's the right hand and here's your left. Here they come. What's your right hand? The first one says in verse 17, and take the sword. Of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let me tell you something. The enemy is very... This book is just words on a page to some people. But the enemy of God knows what this is more than all of us. Because when you use this, this is like a sword to his soul. When, the, when he come against Christ, Christ did nothing but pull out the sword of the Spirit. And he wounded him to where we see after the third temptation, the devil couldn't take it anymore. And it says he had to flee for a period. He had to go lick his wounds for a period. Why? The word of God, that sword of the spirit. Well, that's, that's not just powerful for God. That's not just powerful when Jesus picks it up. Why do you think he give it to us? Why do you think throughout history that kingdom after kingdom has tried to destroy this book? There has, been, there has been kingdom after kingdom and king and, and men that has tried to burn them and then destroy it and take it out of hearts and whatever. And it has, it is still is still right here for us to read and encourage us. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want you to read this. He doesn't want this to be part of your life. And if he can keep you from reading it and memorizing it and using it, boy, he's winning some victories he shouldn't be winning. This is the same word that, that promises to never leave you or forsake you. Well, would you get in the battle and you can, can you use that, Lord? Oh, I trust you. You've promised to never leave me or forsake me. Ooh, it's like you step up on a step, one step. I feel a little better. Okay. Ooh, I feel a little better. And then all of a sudden, this is the same book that promises to always work everything for your good. Woo! I take another step. Man, I'm feeling a little better. Devil, you ain't got nothing on me because God's going to take what you're doing and make something good out of it. And so you take another. Here's another step. Promises that the enemy is already a defeated foe. Hey, devil, uh, let me give you a preview. You attack me all you want. Bow's already over. It's already over. You're going to be defeated. You're already defeated. You're going to be the one in twice. Hey, I've won, and I serve a risen Savior. Hey, there's another one. Here's another step to climb up. Promises to bless you all the days of your life. Hallelujah. Those that trust in the Lord, God promises that He will bless your life every day of your life. Even through the problems, He will bless you. It's another, another step. It's, it's this same word that defeated Satan while he tried to come against Christ. And the Word of God shows us that he, this word is powerful against him. Amen. It's the same word that causes demons to tremble. Amen. So this is a powerful tool, a powerful weapon that God has given you. Make it part of your uh, uh, battle plan is that God, you're going to trust God and put on the armor. And, but you're not going to step back, but you're going to be able to take authority and say, no, by his stripes I am healed. Amen. 
my children, you promised that you will be faithful. And Lord, you hear my prayer and I'm not giving up and I'm holding on to you and you promised to be faithful. And we can trust Him. And how many can say amen to that? And we have another one. That's the right hand. What's in the left hand? He empowers you with prayer. That's why we're pushing in with prayer. Listen, let me tell you something. If you have the Word of God and you come before God and you know what this says and you quote this to God and say, God, you promised this. There's thousands of promises in this Bible. There's thousands. You come, God, and God wants you to tell it. You know what? Ain't that wonderful? God wants you. Sometimes I may have said stuff to my kids and I hope they forget because I, really, I don't want to come through with it maybe by now. But they'll say, but Dad, you promised. And when they say that, I'm like, okay, I promised. I'm going to do it. Now, God don't have that attitude. God's like, please come and tell me what I told you. Please tell me you're reading it. If you believe, you know why it's so important that you do that? It shows not only knowledge, but it shows faith. When you come to God and you tell him, God, you said that you never leave me or forsake me. You never will leave me or forsake me. God says, you're exactly right. And because you did that, it's faith. You reach out. That's that hand reaching out saying, God, I'm doing my part. I'm believing you. I'm trusting you. And God will reach out every time. God will reach out every time. His word is true. But prayer is so important. He empowers you with prayer. It's such an important thing. Verse 18, Ephesians 6, 18 says, Praying always, not just in the good times or the bad times, always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It's talking about here that your prayer is powerful when you reach out to God. And so what the enemy, those, the things he puts in your mind, he comes to you and he says, your prayer ain't worth, your prayer don't get above that ceiling right there. God's not answering your prayer. God's not listening to your prayer. You're not good enough. You're not doing it right. You don't say it the right way. God really is tired of talking to you. All these, has anybody ever heard any of those things in your mind? And you could probably give me about 20 more. You could say, yeah, I can tell you the two, two or three he's hitting me with right now. Let me tell you something. Prayer is powerful. Yeah. Powerful. It is effective. It is powerful. And he tells us in every situation, praying with all prayer and supplication. So we need to be encouraged to realize that when our prayer, when we call out on God, that we put our faith in Him, it confines with His uh, divine power and it, be, it develops into an unstoppable, powerful weapon to destroy the enemy that's launching towards you an attack. And his, he's defeated. Number four, spiritual victory is determined by your warfare. Now, that's different than war. It's how you fight your battle. You can know all the things in the world about battle, but if you don't step into the battle, if you don't suit up for battle, if you don't get ready and get in the battle, it did you no good. You can know all kinds of things in your head, but you've got to put them into action. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, what do you do with these weapons? It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through, the, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. When God empowers you, when you put your trust in Him and His divine power becomes active in your life, it's saying that there is an attack that's coming against you. And almost without a doubt, it starts in your mind. When you don't trust God and when you don't have faith in God, it starts because you, in your mind, have said... I've thought these thoughts, these things has come to me, and I've come to realization I don't think he's going to do anything about it. No, that's the enemy coming against your mind. But this is talking about when, when you uh, 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 wage this war and you uh, let God work through you and his power is made available to you and through you, 
that you need to realize that you need to step into the faith and you need to be able to let him get a hold of your mind and pull down the strongholds of your mind. It's not up there, but that's like we're in, in uh, I think it's uh, Romans or, or Romans 12, maybe verse 1 and 2. You know, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Tear down strongholds. Tear down the things in our mind that causes us to be defeated. Those strongholds I told you about at the beginning of the message that the Nazis had was these pillboxes and these big metal, or not metal, big concrete uh, barriers on top of the mountain that gave them little holes that they was, had big machinery and they were, they were dug in and they had thousands and thousands of soldiers dug into those hills and they were annihilating people. They were in strongholds. You know what they were saying? You can't touch me. <laughs> they were saying this is ours and you can't have it. And in your life, the enemy will come against you and say, this is mine, and you're mine, and you can't, you're not going to get victory. I've won the victory. And he wants to steal from you what God's already done. It makes me think of that, uh, that when Jesus, they brought this, uh, this young man to Jesus that his disciples couldn't cast the demon out, couldn't heal him. And this boy had been through so much. And, and many times when Jesus was asking a question since he was a little boy, the, this this uh, demonic force that was attacking him would try every time he turned around. He had to, he, this father wouldn't get any rest because he kept trying to throw him in a fire, throw him in the water. He was attacking him on a regular basis and he, would just, he was just totally dominating his life. And we see that when Jesus, uh, uh, even when Jesus came, and the, the, these, these disciples couldn't do anything about it. They didn't do anything. But when Jesus, even when Jesus said, come out of him, it says that it just it jerked him and whipped and threw him. It was as if this demonic force, the strong force that Jesus later said, this one only comes by prayer and fasting. You can, only, you can only defeat this battle. You can only win this battle through prayer and fasting. And it says that even when he called him out and demanded him come out, he, he was victorious. But even as that demonic force came out, it was like he was reluctant to even let go. He wanted to just slam him one more time as he took out of him. We see that there are sometimes you deal with things that's big. But the Savior that you serve, the, the, the spirit that God gives you, this word of God and prayer God gives you, then we can be just as effective. The enemy cannot dominate anybody that's calling out on through the power of Jesus Christ, through the word of God and God's spirit, your warfare, when you put it in practice, you will win the battle. Amen. It goes on in that verse 5. It says, casting down imaginations. That word imaginations means thoughts. That's those bricks I was telling you about. It's arguments. It's, it's that little argument that, that the enemy puts in your mind and tells you why God won't do it. It's that enemy that comes against you that may even say to you, it really don't matter how you live. It don't matter what you do. You, you just got, got, God's a loving God. He ain't going to do anything. He loves you, and God does love us. Or when God's trying to draw you closer, oh, you've got time. All those little thoughts and imaginations and arguments that comes against our mind that the enemy tries to dominate us through the power of our mind. Nobody can see it. You can be sitting there having a battle in your mind, and nobody around you can see it. But the enemy is involved, and, and the enemy is trying to defeat you through your mind. It's kind of like the big bully that you think back in school, maybe you remember one. And the big bully that uh, everybody is shaking in their boots when they come 
around because you're thinking, not me, I don't want to be the next one that you mess with. And, and every one of us, no doubt, in schools had a few of these people that you're like, well, if you see them, you kind of go way out of your way to keep away from them because you know what they did to so-and-so just yesterday or what they did to you last week. They dominate people just by their presence to think what they could do to you. But how many has ever found out that sometimes the bigger they are, the harder they fall? They're not that powerful. I remember a, a young... Uh, I remember over here in Tyner Elementary, I won't say a name, I remember in Tyner Elementary there was a boy that uh, very early in school was two years behind already. And so he was two years older than we were. And uh, he kind of pushed his weight around because he was bigger than we were. And uh, he was a little bit of, he's a little bit of trouble. Uh, and he was somebody that you, he just all the time getting into trouble. But the thing I remember one day, this is what's crazy, and I can't remember, William, if we used to be in class together or not. I, maybe after church we'll talk about this and see if you remember. But this boy, he was always picking on people, and he's always messing with people. And so he usually got his way, and he bullied away. But there was this one, I can't remember this other boy's name, but he was the, probably the, one of the quietest kids I remember in school. He was just backward. He wouldn't say nothing. And this other boy, trying to make sure I don't say a name, this other boy would, would just try to dominate him and just pick on him because he thought he was weak. And he would try, and he did, and the teacher was out of the class one day, or we was outside, I can't remember, but he was really giving this boy a hard time. And he hurt him, and he, and he started crying. It was just, he, he was so hurt and embarrassed of what he did to him, I can't remember what he did. But I remember him, the bully laughing and, and, and thinking he'd won the victory, and all of a sudden that timid young man that I would have never thought could have done anything, you seen the change in his face that was like, I'm done with this. And he charged the bully, which was bigger than him, picked him up and slammed him on the ground. And the moment his back hit the ground, the battle was over. <laughs> From that very moment, he was totally dominated at that moment. He was acting big. He was acting bad. He acted like he was going to do all this stuff. But the moment he got through to the ground one time, he gave up. And now he was crying. And so I was. that to me was a visual lesson to say that's the way the enemy is. He, in your life, he comes against you and he acts big and bad and he's got all this authority and he's going to do all these bad things to you. But when you say, oh, I'm done with this, let me tell you something. I've got two weapons and it's called prayer and it's called the Word of God and I come against you, not through my power, but you're through the name of the Lord and all of a sudden you're going to find he's going to run, he's going to tuck tail, and he's going to have to flee because he hasn't got any power. He just wants you to think that he does. And it says at the end of that verse, and every high thing that exalted itself against the power or the knowledge of God. Amen. There's things that comes against the word of God in your mind. There's things that comes against you that tries to take the place and the power of God in your life. But we must keep our confidence and trust in the Lord and put our confidence in Him. And it says, it goes on and says, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Everything, every arrow the enemy tries to cast at you and throw at you, you're able to block them and push them away because you're saying, no, that's not what the Word of God says. No, that's not what God says, but I am victorious through Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Every thought. Hallelujah. Everything that we face starts in the mind, and we need to fill our mind with the Word of God and realize the victory is over. One last thing here. Even when you win the victory in your own life, you're not done. Do you know that? You've got people that you need to be, make yourself available to that God has in your life. Spiritual victory is also determined 
by your watch? What are you doing? Who, who in your life are you uh, able to uh, represent the Lord to? It says in verse 18, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Why is it so important that we pray for someone else? Why is that so important? Is, that, is it important? Have you ever been going through something and someone call you at the right time and they pray for you and it was exactly when you needed it? You were alone and you were scared and you didn't know what to do? And someone calls right in the middle of that and they say, oh, I just wanted to call and encourage you and pray. For you. Let me tell you something. It's saying you're watching not only your life, but look how the enemy is attacking your brothers and sisters, your family, other people you care about. He's not after just you. He's after them. And when God gives you strength, you need to use it to help other people. I, was, I, was, I heard such a wonderful testimony. I, I, talked to, I called uh, one of the calls I made last night was to Brother Jarvis, and uh, I was just checking on him, see how he was doing uh, uh, with this, some, some news. He got some, you know, he's got to have some, some stuff done with his heart, maybe some more later. And he just went through a battle a few years ago with congestive heart failure, and he seemed to be doing pretty good. And he, told, he said, I told you the story about that. And I said, no, I don't remember you telling me. So let me tell you because, it, I mean, it just got us both excited uh, hearing about it. But he said, I was going through that because I remember I, he was really suffering. He was smothering to death with congestive heart failure. He was just having trouble. He couldn't do anything. And I went and seen him several times and, and, and Kurt tried to talk to him, encourage him. But he said... One day he was sitting at the church parsonage and he said he heard something in the parking lot. It was during a school day. and They have a Christian school connected to the church. And he was still going through this. He could not get better. Nothing he could do. And he was kept saying, God, what, what am I supposed to do? You know, this is, this is debilitating. And he said uh, he looked out in the parking lot and he said there was a nice travel camper pulled by a truck. And he said some guy got out in the middle of the parking lot and he had a big nice three-piece dark blue suit on and he said he walked on down to the school and somebody come out of the school and talked to him and he said they that he seen the person from the school point up at his house and he thought oh no what's this going to be you know he said so the guy just started making his way up to his house and uh, he come to his door knocked on his door and he says are you brother Jarvis and he said yes I am he said I just want you to know the Lord sent me here to pray from you and uh He's from North Carolina. The Lord sent him from North Carolina <laughs> there to pray for him. And uh, he said, uh, well, he said, do you know me? He says, no, I don't know you. He said, the Lord just sent me to pray for you. And he said, do you care if I pray? Absolutely not. He said, this guy reached in his suit, pulled out a bottle of oil. And he said, he opened He said, I'm standing on my front porch. And he said, I, I'm standing there. And he says, he pours that bottle of oil out. He puts it all over me, and he starts praying for me. And he said, then he starts speaking in tongues. Amen. He said, boy, I could just feel the presence of God. He said, brother, I just want you to know, this is what he said to Brother Jarvis. He says, I just want you to know, Lord, sent me to pray for you, and I believe God's going to do a work in your life. And he sent me here just to pray for you. He started to walk away, and Brother Jarvis said, are you, brother, I, I don't even know you. He says, no, you don't know me. He said, are you going to preach a going to preach a revival somewhere? Because he said, I'm an evangelist. And he said, you getting ready to preach a revival somewhere? No. He says, I'm getting ready to go back home. I'm getting ready to go back home. And he said, Brother Jarvis said, from that day, 
his health completely turned the other direction to where he don't even face that problem. And so I asked him last night, are you waiting for a blue suit and a truck to pull, <laughs> pull up in, your, in the parking lot? Let me tell you something. You, you, you can have, God not only wants to work in your life, but he wants to use you to work in other people's lives. When you can come to someone and say, when you come to someone else and you say, brother, sister, let me tell you, let me, I'm going to pray for you. And God sent me to pray for you, but let me tell you what he did for me. And all of a sudden, because when we was talking about that last night, him, this happened two years ago. Him thinking about it, he got so choked up, he started crying on the phone. Yeah. He got tore up. Why? He's thinking about the goodness of God. Yeah. Thinking about the goodness of God. Well, when he got tore up, he got me choked up. Amen. And so all of a sudden, we got off the phone, and I called to encourage him, and I left off the phone more encouraged than when I got on the phone. And that's what you can do to other people. There is the enemy is trying to defeat not only you, but those people you love. Those people that are even weaker than you. Those people that maybe have not been going to church. There's people that's not been in church since COVID started. And so the Lord might need you to reach out, encourage somebody else. Because you can, can you imagine what goes through their minds? Because there's something about getting in the presence of God and you feel God's presence right here in this building. It's much more powerful than seeing it online. And so we need to realize there's a battle going on. But thank God we can fight that battle, and it's already a one battle. All we got to do, we're not fighting, as we've said before, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. It's already one. Well, hang on. Just hang on. The Lord's coming back. The enemy is already defeated. Nothing he can do. God's got complete control, and you can keep hanging on, and the victory is yours. All you got to do is hang on and keep your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before I even pray, let's just praise God right now. Thank you, Lord, because of your mighty power. We thank you, Lord, because it's true, Lord. We can fight the battle, Lord. We can, we can endure it, God, because of who you are and because of what your word tells us. And, God, you've already won the victory. And God, I pray that you would empower and move in lives this morning. God, that you would have your way in this place this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. If you just keep your head bowed this morning, I just want to ask you this morning. This morning, there could be those that's in the house that uh, you're going through a spiritual battle. Let me tell you something. The number one spiritual battle is, is the enemy keeping you from getting to Christ in the first place. You haven't even given your heart to Him. And there's some here you may sit there and say, I don't really know if I'm saved. I, I, I think maybe I'm saved. No, you need to know you're saved and you can know that. You can leave here totally knowing that you can trust in Him. And so that could be your number one. That's the number one battle that he tries to win. But some of the rest of you can be going through some things and saying, yes, I'm going through a struggle, and boy, it's hard sometimes. But I want to win that battle, and I know that God has already won the battle, and I want to stand in that. This morning, as Priscilla comes, I just want you to know that this altar is going to be open for any of you all that have these situations. Any of you all that your heart, your life, you want to give your heart to the Lord. You want to give your heart and surrender to Him. You're going through struggles and you want to stand here and say, I choose to believe that our battle is already won. And God, I'm standing here believing you're going to be faithful to me. These altars are open this morning. and I